There are 40 million people who are deeply ambivalent about the changes that we're undergoing as a society. Today on Office Hours, we talked to Professor Al Tillery, Associate Chair of the Political Science Department. His research focuses on racial and ethnic politics, the media and politics, and American public opinion, so we sat down with him for a 2016 election debrief. Tillery said Donald Trump certainly made this election out of the ordinary. Yeah, it's an outlier in the sense that we have certain constitutional norms, which everyone has to obey, but we also have certain traditions about interactions between candidates and the press, you know, norms about conflicts of interest and releasing one's taxes, and he skirted all that. One of the hallmarks of this election was the failure of major polls to predict the outcome. Tillery broke down some of the demographics for us. You know, we've always known that there's a kind of KKK voter base out there, right? Or people, even if they're not committed to explicit white supremacy, as I think maybe a third of his voters are, right? A third of 60 million is, you know, 20 million, right? So that's a lot of people. But there are 40 million people who are deeply ambivalent about the changes that we're undergoing as a society. And they're also ambivalent about women taking on leadership roles in, in American society. And I think that Mr. Trump was, was able to exploit, you know, the discomfort of college-educated white women who are swing voters with Mrs. Clinton for, uh, for some reason that we won't be sure about for a while. But in the polls, they were supposed to deliver for her by 20 percentage points, and, you know, that didn't happen. After every election comes a media reckoning. This year, after a surprising result, that reckoning has been especially strong. But Tillery disagrees with some of the conclusions they've drawn. You know, so the standard media story is that, you know, we've missed the kind of dissatisfaction with the global elite that these kinds of blue-collar, white, working-class voters have. But, you know, those voters are not swing voters. They haven't been for 30 years. They've been voting Republican. And so... Um, the weaknesses of the unions, some would say that that's the fault of, you know, Mrs. Clinton not mobilizing them. But the reality is that the Democrats have allowed the unions to rot on the vine since the Reagan era. Other than this crisis, you know, on the part of women voters, I think that that is another part of it. Voters this election cycle wanted change, whether that was from third-party candidates, Bernie Sanders, or Donald Trump. This is a referendum against the sort of global capitalist elite. But the irony is that Mr. Trump himself is a huge outsourcer, you know, the king of stripping small businesses of their salaries that he justly owes them, right? He's the king of wage theft. And so the idea that, you know, he represents an alternative to Hillary Clinton is really uh, laughable. But, you know, voters are uneducated. They're largely ignorant of anything beyond the partisan ID. And he was able to exploit that with bluster. And so that's, I think that's really to his credit. Um, but most have been responsible enough not to try to run that way. So I think that's what's happening in these counties that went for Obama in 2012, but flipped to Trump. It's just this kind of repudiation of the system. And Trump is outside the system. If voters just wanted someone outside the system, what could Hillary Clinton have done differently? I'm distressed by this argument that Hillary did something wrong that we're getting from a lot of liberal commentators. I think it's nonsense. I think she ran a far more progressive campaign than Barack Obama ran either time, and the left still loves him. I think that there is a kind of gender dynamic there about people you know, not really wanting to see her succeed on a subconscious level. That does disturb me. She's far more qualified than Barack Obama was in 2008. Uh, she's probably the most qualified candidate in the modern era, except for Richard Nixon. But, you know, this idea that, oh my gosh, had she just addressed the rage of the angry white male voter, this 
The angry white male voter hasn't voted Democrat since 1980. So, you know, if party ID really tells the story, why would you do that? Plus, as the popular vote showed, there's not enough if you get the right combination. So, you know, what she may have done wrong is mobilization. Maybe she did not sort of, you know, have enough paid mobilization in some of these states to really turn out the vote. Um, that might be one thing. But, you know, I still think that she ran a very, very good campaign. So what does a Trump victory mean now for this country? I frankly am worried about the future of the republic. I, I think that uh, electing a birther as president of the United States is a complete disaster. Electing a birther with the temperament of President-elect Trump is a complete disaster times 100. Um, I've seen the nuclear football. I've been in rooms with it. It's terrifying. And the fact that this man has control over the nuclear codes with his temperament, you know, making false claims about stolen elections, when we all know recounts typically reaffirm the winner. These ties with Russia... I mean, Putin is not doing these things because he cares about the American people. The fact that Paul Manafort, his chief campaign operative, was a paid agent for Russia. These are things that should make the electors very skeptical about voting for Mr. Trump on December 19th. And so I'm terrified that our democracy is at risk. Democracy falls not when the institutions are strongest, but when they're at their weakest. And I worry that this man is exploiting our weaknesses. I really have to separate myself from a kind of teacher with some degree of obligation to be objective and just say that as a citizen, I'm speaking, already the way that he's behaved with the press, I mean, I've spent time in authoritarian regimes and this is how it begins. And it's very, very unsettling. We should all be terrified. But hey, at least the president's white. <laughs> And a male, right? And so, you know, maybe that'll be enough when Putin moves into the White House. Or, <laughs> you know. Though Trump won the Electoral College, the college doesn't actually vote until December 19th. That, coupled with Jill Stein's recount efforts in several states, means that the election is still in a sort of limbo for now. We asked Hillary what he thinks about these recount efforts. I think they're unlikely to change the outcome, I think, that very credible sources believe that there are these anomalous patterns in the data. And so I think that that's true. But are they so anomalous that they'll swing the election? You know, I doubt it. But is it possible that there was tampering with our electoral systems? You know, I think it is possible, but not probable. If we behaved the way the founders wanted us to behave, the electors would not vote for Trump. Trump is everything that the founders would have feared in a president. The beauty of the Electoral College is that it preserves the need for people to appeal regionally. But it is a non-majoritarian institution. And so I do understand the need, the call for reform. In the middle of the 20th century, the college was a kind of way for outsiders to get enough population massed in these important states to matter electorally. And so this is why Truman desegregates the armed forces, is because of black voters in New York and Illinois, right? And, uh, you know, so I do understand the beauty of the logic of, you know, not just appealing to New York, California, and Illinois. And I'm enough of a believer in the institutions to say that I don't just want to call for its abolition because uh, Trump won. Uh, the founders believed that it would be easier for a Trump to win without the college. And I do believe that this person represents a systemic threat to the republic. I don't believe that this person is prepared for the job, and I think his lack of discipline is dangerous in a nuclear world. 
this is precisely the moment when the founders would want the Electoral College to block someone like this. And that's what I would advocate openly. And, uh, you know, they could install another Republican, Paul Ryan, Mike Pence, whomever. So if it fails this time, then I would say there's no reason to have it, right? Uh, Because it's not doing its purpose, not serving its purpose. Assuming Trump is confirmed by the Electoral College, what does Democratic political strategy look like going forward? The Democrats are going to double down on the strategies that made them winners in the 90s and the early 2000s, but weak presidents, right? Don't represent women and minorities and progressive young people, you know, represent sort of the angry blue collar, like those are the people that matter. And, you know, I don't think that that's a winning strategy without Mr. Trump. I also don't think that that's a winning strategy going forward. So um, I think that that's sadly what I see happening. I think for me, the lesson is, you know, they probably need to run a younger man, perhaps a man of color to really gin up voter mobilization among young people and, uh, and people of color. Part of this is the dilemma of the Democratic Party, again, chasing this myth that the angry white male voter is the future to the American electorate. You know, I think they'll chase that for a couple more cycles and, you know, it'll probably cost them to lose. Hillary thinks Democratic strategy going forward will be different than what got Obama elected in the past two terms. But he says the loss this election cycle was partly a reflection of Obama's time in office. I mean, a lot of this is Obama's making. I mean, he believes that his presence as a kind of non-white president is polarizing. But I say if it's polarizing, then, you know, do it anyway. You can only uh, be the most powerful man in the world or a weak president. There's no in-between. Obama's weakness was not realizing that his victories empowered him to behave like every other white male president, which is swing for the fences. George Bush elected, just like Trump was, without the popular vote in 2000, immediately claimed a mandate. He's standing up in the Rose Garden talking about creation science, right? He's not behaving as someone that just squeaked over the bar. Obama's always behaved as someone that kind of just squeaked over the bar because he's worried about his place in history. And so what I'm saying is that a person that wasn't burdened by this view of being the first non-white president and breaking the democracy and making white people angry would have just behaved the way W and Reagan and FDR, the great presidents did. And he never had that. He behaved like Clinton did, Jimmy Carter did. Oh, let's not stir the sleeping giant. Obama, you showed us the sleeping giant doesn't matter if you, if you are smart. It's been a tumultuous election cycle that doesn't show signs of settling down anytime soon between recounts, electoral college votes, and media soul-searching. It is yet to be seen how this will affect our country and our political system in the long run, but there's no doubt that it will. I'm Maddie Fox, my producer is Isabel Robertson, the audio editor of The Daily Northwestern is Corey Mueller, and our editor-in-chief is Julia Jacobs. Thanks for listening to Office Hours, and we'll see you after winter break.